Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this week's episode of Traverse the Gray, where we try to have clear, concise Christian conversations. Today, I have Christina Robinson, Robertson on the call with me, where we're going to be talking about relationships and marriage today. Uh, she's a Christian counselor, Christian marriage counselor, Christian marriage coach, um, all the sorts of things. She does content over on TikTok as well, which is how I found her. Interesting stuff over there. She's got a Facebook page where she does things uh, regarding marriage and marriage coaching. Um, and if you're interested in checking any of that out, uh, you can go over there to Facebook, happy spouse, happy house, same thing on TikTok, happy spouse, period, happy house. So Christina, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. Any day above ground is a good day. <laughs> there you go. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> uh, so with you being a TikTok content creator, I don't know if that's a negative term or not nowadays, but, um, with you doing content on TikTok, um, at least from what I've noticed, when it comes to Christian spaces on that social media platform, sometimes it can seem, I don't know, divisive. And I'm not sure if that's just the algorithm spitting the divisive content out at me, because I know there are Christian content creators on there who make marvelous content, and I'm sure you know some as well. Absolutely. But why do you think Christians seem so divided on the app? Sorry, say it again? Why do you think Christians seem so divided on the app? Um, well, here's the thing. Uh, I've noticed a lot while posting uh, all of the content. I try to post um, Christian content for everything. And sometimes I feel like if it's Christian content, it's not pushed through. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I have noticed, and more and more I've noticed this, is that there's a big divide in Christians, not just atheist Christian, but Christian versus Christian. I have so many people trying to fight with me on just basic biblical principles mm -hmm. all day long. And it's gotten to the point where I'm like, you know what? We're not going to fight over this. This is not something that we're needing to have a division about. There's, that's exactly what the enemy wants. So why, why would I play into that? So for me, it's really something that I've had to learn. I used to be that person that... Um, I was very upset whenever someone said something negative or against what I had to say. And I would take it very personally. And I honestly would always want to have the last word and the last say. And I have gotten to the point where if I do that, I'm not, I'm not edifying Christianity. I'm kind of de-edifying it by just mm -hmm. fighting, you know, that spirit. Because we're not fighting against flesh. We're fighting against spirit. So I'm not trying to ever cause controversy. But somehow, oh, my TikToks end up in controversy. It's crazy. I've been told as a kid that if some people aren't mad at you, then you may not be doing the right thing. <laughs> that is true. That is actually true. And something that was said to me is if you're trying to get famous on TikTok spreading the gospel, you're probably spreading the wrong gospel because there you are. popular on. Christianity is what's, is what's popular. But when I talk biblical principles, like actual biblical principles, people do not like it. And so it's hard to get famous on TikTok, that was never the goal. I'm not trying to go viral or be famous. I'm just trying to spread awareness, education, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to help this generation because let's face it, our culture right now is very lost. So individuals who may be on TikTok or other social media platforms for that instance, um, how do you think they could best discern between those who are, like you said, just doing the things for fame on TikTok with the Jesus label on it? versus those who are legitimately trying to get good word out there. So you're going to hear me talk about this a lot, but discernment is one of those things that you have to um, kind of w practice into, I guess you could say. Like you have to be able to um, use that muscle of discernment, I guess you could say, by getting in your word every single day. How can you know what to discern if you're not in your word? Uh, and I was like this for a long time. I was a Christian. You know, I claimed it. I read my Bible like, oh, yeah, verse of the day. I'm good. But I didn't know truly how to discern correctly because I wasn't in my Bible every day hmm. reading the truth for myself. And the other thing is, and this is something that I've just recently really started doing, and it's made a huge difference, is we read the Bible and we're like, I don't understand what I just read. We don't really comprehend it. So I say, you have to pray before you read your Bible. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to fill within you 
to be able to discern the things that are being said. So what I do is if I see something that I'm like, hmm, I don't know, does that line up with the word of God? I don't know. I go straight into my word and I say, okay, let's open this Bible. Let's read this and see what the, what the word has to say about it. Because you're going to have so many contradicting ideas. Everyone thinks they're right. And the other problem is people keep saying, you can't take the Bible literally. Oh, it's not meant to be this verbatim what it says. Well, there are some things in there that when you read it, it's like like head coverings, that kind of thing. That's one of those discernment things. I like to have a Bible that kind of explains things for me. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Um, or I'll deep dive into the context of like the words themselves. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about we'll talk about some words later that I had to definitely look up. Yeah. Because I was like, okay. Yeah, I'm not I'm not having these words. And then when I looked them up, I was like, that's what they mean. So you really have to use your muscles of discernment and get in your Bible, read that Bible to understand and discern what is the truth and what's not. To go off when you said um, people saying you can't take the Bible literally. Of course, like sometimes you can't literally take it literally. When Jesus says he is the door, he's not talking about being a literal wooden frame door. So like, of course, not everything can be taken literally, but there is a context that people need to take into take into consideration when reading the Bible. And of course it's all going to be there. Um, So one question I did have for you um, is with you making content online um, and being primarily about marriage from a Christian perspective of things. What's the feedback like that you get from that content? And if you don't mind, like what are your demographics like? Like, are you mostly getting like other wives who are talking about it or like unmarried women? Are you getting like mostly dudes who are angry or like dudes who are like agreeing with you? Like, how's it go? So it's actually very uh, 50-50 for a lot of it. It's it's half men and half women. Like it's honestly both. Um, The problem is, the thing with TikTok is everybody wants to give their opinion. Everybody wants to have a say. So everything that I post, I always get women who are into feminism. I, I always get those people. I always get the people who are hard pressed on, on talking about how women, you know, are the head of everything and men are just there. And it's, it's very, it's very funny to me because I have half the people over here going, yeah, you go girl. Amen. Yes. That's awesome. You're a real winner. Like give this girl a trophy, like, like so positive. And then you mm-hmm. have like, you're a sorry excuse for a woman. You're a bad mom. You're a terrible wife. And I'm oh like, my okay. It's, it's, it's crazy because literally, and there's a few of my viral videos <laughs> that uh, I have this split. I literally have half the people praising me and the other half is like tearing me apart. So, hmm. um, it's, but it's pretty 50, 50 for men and women, but it's a lot of people, actually older people, which I'm kind of surprised, like forties and fifties. I mean, just from what I can tell from, uh, some of the comments and their photos, I can tell they're a little bit like older generation people, because a lot of people are like, wow, you don't see that anymore. Yeah. We don't, you don't see that nowadays. Um, what it used to be in the old days. So I can just tell by the comments that it's a little bit of an older demographic, hardly any young people. So. When you say older, are you meaning like millennials? Cause millennials are actually kind of older now, or are you meaning like Xers and boomers? Yeah. More like Xers and boomers. Ah, uh, interesting. So it's interesting. Surprised I, they're on TikTok. What are they doing there? there? <laughs> I'm telling you, once <laughs> this whole thing went down, people had nothing to do. So they said, hey, let's just hop on this TikTok thing. All the kids are talking about. So Fine by me because they're all my uh, they're all my viewers, so I'm okay with it. <laughs> there you go. Um, so with your content being mostly around marriage and stuff, uh, I want to get some context on, I guess, a Christian perspective on marriage, um, and so I guess God's design for marriage, as we as you mentioned it in a previous conversation that we were talking about earlier. Um, what is God's design for marriage, and how does that look? So this is something that I've actually done a lot of research on, and I've had a lot of time to read through the Bible and just ask God, what was your design for marriage? What did you have planned and what was your idea? And it was interesting what I found because it was completely against what I thought it was. So that was kind of a humbling moment for me to say, wow, I'm not doing the things that I need to do in my marriage. So Mm -hmm. uh, it goes back, obviously, to Adam and Eve. And there's a whole uh, lot on marriage Within Genesis 2, it talks about how Adam and Eve come together. They leave their mother and father and become one. 
Um, but a couple points that I wanted to make on this, which I thought were so interesting, is the fact that God created Adam out of the dust. And he could have made Eve out of the dust as well, but he decided to pull from Adam's flesh and bone and fashion. I love this word now. He fashioned her. Um, and, and another point that is cool about this is woman was the last thing that God ever created. He, she was the final piece of the whole thing. And so he fashioned woman from man. And that creates and symbolizes the oneness of, and the one flesh of marriage, which I thought was so cool. It's like, wow, I never, I never even thought of it like that. And so uh, once he created them as one flesh, he said, okay, here's the thing. You two are level with each other. You're supposed to be equal as in, equal in value. One is not more superior than the other. One is not better than the other. But to the fall of man, he did say, hey, Adam, you're going to rule over her because, you know, she made a mistake and you got to like, you know, we're going to have to have you leading the way a little bit because, you know, what happened here? So, and when I saw that, I was like, wow, that's interesting. Um, because, um, you know, God created this way uh, and, and for uh, see it this way because God wants us to be examples uh, for this generation. He wants us to have marriage be a, a symbol of uh, his unity and his love. And um, crazy to me because while we're equals, we're equal to each other, we're not superior over the other. Mm -hmm. We have different roles, we have different characteristics, and we have different duties. So we are both equal value but we have a difference in what our roles and characteristics are so once i started to deep dive into that i started getting into uh the whole um where it talks about manly's his mother and father and they become one flesh mm -hmm. and then it started to take off from there and then uh going into ephesians of course i love ephesians uh it starts talking about the kind of hierarchy uh, the patriarchy of marriage. And uh, this is where people kind of get like wonky a little bit because they're uh, upset at the fact that God created it to be a specific way, but our culture now has it kind of upside down. And well, I do want to get into all that, that but I want to take a step back real quick. Okay. okay. Um, all right. One thing I wanted to mention uh, when it comes to, I guess, Adam and Eve and Eve quote unquote messing up. I think a lot of times people forget that Adam also messed up in that situation Absolutely. when Absolutely. God confronted Adam about what happened. Adam denies any responsibility and tries to push all the blame off of him. So I just want to make Absolutely. sure that is also in, uh, considered when talking about this subject as well. Yes. Yes. It's not Absolutely. like it's all Eve. It's all Eve. That right. woman. And I was going to say that, I was like, should I go off on that tangent? Should I not? But that is a very good point. And it's kind of funny. My husband and I were joking about this. And we said, so you're telling me that it wasn't actually Eve because God told Adam and Adam wasn't paying attention to what Eve was doing. Mm -hmm. So they both were at fault here. It wasn't just like, oh, Eve doomed us all. Nope. It was both yeah, responsibility. Yeah. Both needed to take ownership for what they did. Uh, so it was not just a one-sided thing. <laughs> Correct. And for some reason, it's really big. Maybe it's more so in what do they call them, baby Christians or people young in their faith that look at it that way, that it's all Eve's fault. But I hope Absolutely. that, because like, that's like a stepping stone to getting into like anti-women or like looking down on women in general, yeah. which is obviously yeah. not a Christ-like viewpoint. No, um, not at all. One thing you mentioned as well that I wanted to dive a little bit on is oneness. You mentioned oneness. What does that necessarily look like today in a marriage? Well, this gets, this gets kind of tough because it's hard in this day and age uh, to have that oneness perspective uh, in marriage. Being one flesh, being one together, God didn't want us just to be best friends. He wanted us to be on the same path together. So um, one thing that I, I heard that I was like, this is so true is when you get married, you're together. You're one, right? Mm -hmm. And you're supposed to be traveling on the path together. So when you hit a bump, you go this way, you go this way together. But a lot of the problems 
happen when each person wants to go their own way and they kind of split and separate and don't think together as one. And that's why it's so important when you're thinking about getting married to talk about these things before you do it. Uh, one big thing that I always talk about um, is setting up expectations for your marriage, uh, because how can you expect to be one if you're not even on the same page? Like if you're in totally different chapters, how are you going to be able to figure anything out? Mm-hmm. I mean, from how you handle your finances to how you're going to parent your kids to what pizza place you're going to order. I mean, people can literally lose their minds over the simplest thing. So if we, we can stop creating a division ahead of time by just keeping that oneness and being one, then we're going to, we're, we're going to pretty much save marriage in, in the respect of there's so many divorces out there because people are being divided because they don't stay on the same page with one another. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad to me because it, it's so simple. This is all simple, but it's not easy. But you have to make steps every day in order to keep it one and on that same track. One thing I want to mention about the divorce rate. So this is not to deter and think that the divorce rates aren't as bad. Okay, this is just to, so everyone understands the divorce rates. When it comes to divorce rates, what they count in like the big statistic that like 50 plus percentages of marriages ended in divorce. What they don't differentiate in those statistics is the repeat offenders who get mm. divorced more than once. They're just counting instances of marriages and then divorce. Now, divorce is still high. We want 0% divorce rate, maybe yes. like small percentages of like rare cases of someone's an absolutely horrible person. Okay. Yes. But like still, I just want to make that <laughs> distinction first. Uh, well, yeah, and that's a good point to make, though. Yes, it yes. really is. Um, and then the last thing, well, I guess we can go to. So you were mentioned in Ephesians five um, when it yes. talks about marriage. Uh, do we, you can go ahead and just uh, go over Ephesians five real quick. Your notes on that. Okay, so this is actually my favorite thing to talk about, or one of the most favorites. Um, and so I really want to read it because go for it. You have to get the context in order to speak on it. And I have a lot to say about it. So I'll, I'll try to power through this one, but but take my time at the same time. So it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, he all, he, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and present herself to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any kind or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So in talking about this, this is where I got really upset when I first heard this. I was like, I did that whole, I ain't submitting to nobody. I'm an independent woman. I, mm-hmm. No one's going to control me, dominate me, have power over me. That's not happened. And so God really started pushing me to read this. And I probably read this about 20 times. And I was like, what are you trying to tell me in this? Like, break it down for me. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I felt this urge to be a submissive wife. And I was like, I don't know what this even means. What does this mean? So I was like, okay, what is the word submit? What does it mean in Hebrew? Like, let's go back a little bit and see what the context is. So there is the context of dominance, power, control, but the ones before that talk about respect, honor, bringing up, bringing near, reverence, honor. Um, uh, I said reverence, respect, honor, reverence, and being a helpmate. So when I thought about this, I was like, okay, so what does that mean? What does that mean for me as a wife? How am I supposed to submit to my husband? Uh, and then it talks about wives love or husbands loving their wives. So I got to thinking and God kind of revealed this to me one day when I was reading this and he said, you know, women, they have a deep desire to be loved. 
Like that's what we want. We want to be loved. And men, they have a deep desire to be respected. But if you notice in this culture today, it is easier for women to be lovey and love on their husbands. And it's easier for men to just say, oh, hey, I'm just going to keep the peace and I'm going to submit to her just so I don't have to hear her nag me or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, so why then did, did Paul write it like this? Why did he say, wives, you're supposed to submit to your husbands and husbands, you're supposed to love your wives? If you think about women, we are natural lovers. So, and we're, and it's harder for us to want to submit because we like to be in control of everything. So I think that Paul specifically wrote to the other because it's against our nature. Like our nature is that I'm going to love, but I don't want to give up any control. Mm-hmm. Men are like, well, I can, I want to be, you know, in control, but I'm just going to let her do it. So I keep the peace. And it's not maybe as easy to love her the way that Christ loved the church. And that's the key. So with submission, it's not like you're a doormat. It's not that you're, uh, you have no opinion, no say. It's not that you don't get any part in the marriage. You make decisions together. You do things together. But your husband leads you, leads the household. And I really started to wonder, what does that mean? And it was pointed out to me, he's going to lead the family to church, lead the family in prayer, kind of be that head of household saying, okay, I am like Christ in the church. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to love my family. I'm going to lead them in the direction. I'm going to protect them, provide for them. And I'm going to just be what God intended me to be, just be in that spot. And then wives are supposed to be the helpers. We're supposed to sit there and nurture the children. We're supposed to help our husbands keep a home. And everybody always throws that, what do you live in the 1950s? Mm-hmm. Well, no, but I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible back then in terms of how the interactions between husbands and wives, wives were. And, you know, it's kind of like those were simpler times and that was overcomplicated everything. So to me, loving your wife, like Christ loves the church, that's love, the verb, not love, just, Oh, I love you. It's a feeling love is an action word. Mm-hmm. And same with submitting, submitting respect is what I kind of correlate it with respect is also an action. I know that there are lots of women out there who disrespect their husbands in the way that they talk to them, the way they talk about them, the way they talk to other people about their issues. And then I know the men do the same thing. They don't honor their wives in public and love on them in public. And it's just, it's really sad because we're taking these words that are so good And we're kind of like, okay, well, I love you. You know, it's a feeling, it's whatever, but we're not putting into action by honoring each other and loving each other with our actions. So, I mean, and again, I had a TikTok that went super viral on this because people were so upset at the fact that I said, submit to your husband, like they're the control over you and that you have to obey their every word and, and you have no opinion or say, and I was like, that's not what it's about at all. And the, the one that made me go so viral is I, I told people that I served my husband his plate. Like I gave him his plate first, mm-hmm. then the kids, and then we all pray and eat together. And everybody lost their minds because I said that I respected my husband and I appreciated and loved him. So I fed him, I served him his plate and then my children. And everyone's like, that's not respect. What are you saying? Kids come first. And I'm just like, wow, I didn't realize that so many people thought this way. Like it kind of blew my mind. And I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe that is why marriages are all out of whack because we don't even have the right mindset about it. We don't even have the right thought process of how it's supposed to go. I mean, think of it this way. You have a marriage and you're not cultivating it. You're basically giving your all your attention to your children, leaving your marriage as a okay, I married you. You're going to be around. It's fine. When they leave, then I'll, then I'll fix it. By that time you have nothing left. Mm-hmm. Not always, but a lot of the time your spouse then feels empty. So it's like submitting to your spouse is not something that is uh, something to be embarrassed about, ashamed about. It's actually something very honorable. God calls us to do it because he knows that men need help. Love you guys. I do, but y'all need some help sometimes. Sometimes you need that like little a lot if that, I might add. What, yeah, a, a lot. That's okay though. But 
and that's the thing, like the power of a praying wife, that is one of those things. It's like, we should be like guarding up behind our men. Like we should be lifting them up in prayer. We should be standing behind them and using our actions as a way, because I get a lot of this is, well, my, my husband won't lead. My husband won't be the head of the household. He's not following God. What do I do? Like, that's my most common question is what do I do? My husband's not following Christ. And I always say the same thing because this is what I did. This just, this happened to me. This is why I'm so passionate and I share it because this was my life. My husband literally grew up with no church background, no Christianity. And there were a lot of things that happened between us that were really bad. And everybody's like, why did you stay? And I'm like, I don't know. I just felt led to stay. Turns out because of my influence to help, he got saved and baptized a few years ago. And now it's like, it's completely different. Like he's just a totally different person. And they're like, what did you do? And I was like, listen, this is all I did. And it sounds like this is all I did, but that's something this is simple. We overcomplicate it. I prayed fervently for him. If you've never seen War Room, watch War Room. That'll give you a very good description. And and that's exactly what you should be doing is getting in your prayer closet, writing verses out, praying over your husband. I pray over my husband morning and night, every single day. The other thing is, First Peter three, it talks about if your spouse is not godly or acting godly, that you can win them over by your actions and your behavior. And you don't even have to say words because for a while I used to preach at him and tell him, you need to go to church. You need to change. Rah, rah, rah. Okay. That didn't work. That never works. You need to show Jesus through you. You can preach how good Jesus is all day long, but until he sees the goodness of Jesus, people don't, they don't like correlate. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, Jesus is there. But it's like, you have to experience him for yourself to know how amazing he truly is. So I prayed, I, I was an example, and I never gave up on him. You know, I could have divorced him many times. I thought about it sometimes, not all the time. But he used to throw that out at me all the time and say, oh, we should just get a divorce. And I don't think we should be together. And I'm like, no, like, this is not what we need to do. The enemy is trying to divide us. Everything Mm -hmm. he's doing is trying to divide us. So we need to make sure, wise especially, that you're praying for your husband, guarding him up, and just being that helpmate to him. I do the simplest things. I make sure his life is as easy as I can possibly make it because I love him, because I want him to feel appreciated many men in this world, they don't get appreciated. Again, another TikTok I did, I, I put up all the things that men need, simple things, four things to feed their appetite. I have had thousands of people tell me you're spot on. And the problem is women just aren't doing it. I don't know why they're not doing it. I don't know if it's like, it's like rocket science or they're just late. I don't know what it, it, what it is, but it's, it's really not that hard hard. It's, it's simple. It, we just need to take the time to understand who our spouse is, what we need to do for them. But we can't do that unless we have the influence of God to do that for us. Like we can't, we can't do it if we don't have God in our lives. We just can't. It's mm-hmm. not, it's, it's not going to flow the way it needs to flow unless Jesus is at the center of it. So, so let's take a couple steps back. Cause it was, there was a lot there. Um, and I want to make yeah, sure sorry. that we're, we're, no, it's not a problem. I just want to make sure that we are able to all understand everything that was being said here. So first thing I want to go back to was the word submission. Now, yes. uh, connotationally, submission has a negative view. Yes. It usually means something like uh, defeat or like um, giving in or other synonyms like that. And <clears throat> you touched on some of the ways that you combated that approach to people saying like, why are you saying submit? You know, I'm not going to be a submission submitter or whatever, but in the general world of Christianities in their daily lives, how do we necessarily combat that argument that gets thrown at the word submit? Well, it's hard when if they're not a believer because mm-hmm. every single person that combats me with that doesn't understand the context. Mm-hmm. And so you have to know it in the context of which it's spoken because if not, you're not going to understand. It's hard to even take steps forward to understand if you refuse to have a growth mindset about it. You're just going to be fixed in 
it's this way, this is the word I know, this is the definition. If you notice, words have many definitions. So context is huge. Uh, it's not something that uh, was easy for me to do. I have kind of an alpha female personality, like I like to be in charge. And I know that if I am in charge, then I can control what's happening. The mm -hmm. problem is if I take charge, I realize that I was wrong a lot of the time. So it's hard because as a Christian wife, reading this context, it's hard to say to somebody who has no mindset about it, like, oh, hey, <laughs> just submit to your spouse. Uh, but they're, a lot of the time, they're not open to receiving it. They're not open to receiving what it actually means. Mm -hmm. I actually had somebody who I got this. This first came to me. I met somebody on um, Facebook, and she had a group called the Submissive Housewife. And I was like, I'm just going to check this out. So I basically talked to her, and she was like, okay, this is all I did. This is all I did. And this is kind of what opened my mindset into that context. And I just had to have it explained the correct way for me to be able to understand it. So this is something that could be done once you explain how, what does being a submissive wife mean? Like, what are the actions you actually take in order to show that you're a submissive wife? So she said, I just had this urge one day to just start doing things for my husband that I wasn't normally doing. Uh, and I did it without telling him. I did it without any other prompting other than the Lord just said, do this. So she's like, I made sure that I made his, uh, made his meals for him. I serve his plate. When he comes home from a long day's work, I take his boots off. I give him a, his favorite snack. I buy him his favorite snacks from the store that he wants. I do all of his laundry. I fold up. I make sure everything's done for him. I make sure the house is clean. I make sure I keep myself up. That was just something that she loved doing. Like she liked being pretty. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the funny thing was though, that she was like, I noticed though, once I started doing this, that he was very like, hey, babe, go get your nails done. Hey, do you want to go out? Like, so her doing that kind of changed the dynamic of the marriage. Uh, Cause she was like, something's missing. I don't know what it is. So if we can explain it in a way that non-Christians can understand it, we can kind of start to bridge the gap. But it's really hard for somebody, like I said, in that fixed mindset who's like, oh, no, submit, dominate. No, I'm independent. I, I deal with my own self. Like, I'm good. I don't need that. Mm -hmm. it's like, if you really understood what it meant, I can tell you 100% in my experience, the best thing I've ever done. Best thing I've ever done. And so I'm, I'm assuming that any single male Christians that are listening to this, this, this whole marriage thing sounds real nice right about now. Um, oh yeah. One thing I do want to mention that there is a whole, there is another half of this conversation. Absolutely. Um, and so for the husband sides of things, mm -hmm. what is it, what does it look like to love your wife as Ephesians says? Well, this is something that I'm seeing a lot, uh, unfortunately. And I, I don't know, well, okay, I'll say this. I'm seeing more and more women talking about men uh, abusing their wives. So hold on with me for a second, because I know you're like, oh my gosh. I'm talking about the mental and emotional and the verbal. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about the physical. And I think this is something that gets really overlooked a lot because we think abuse is verbal. We think domestic violence. We think like all that. But we don't think about how somebody talks to you, how somebody reacts towards you. So really loving your wife is something that you need to understand that when you love your wife, you are serving, you are sacrificing for her. You're giving yourself up for that person. And a lot of people say to me, well, if I sacrifice and serve, then I'm like, then what do I get? But we're supposed to mutually love and respect one another, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're both serving and sacrificing for one another, nobody's lacking. But the issue is a lot of the time that one person is and one person is not. So then it gets all unbalanced. So loving your wife, is the actions that you take towards her, the way you speak to her, the way you communicate with her. 
you know, don't treat her like, oh, you know, you're my punching bag, not literally, but, you know, verbally, mm-hmm. like, oh, hey, I'm angry, I'm just going to take it out on you. And what I found out in my own marriage is that my husband was like, you know, the reason that I did what I did, and I said what I said was because I knew I was safe with you. It's not an excuse for the way I excuse for the things that I said. But I knew that you would listen to me. I knew that you would be there for me no matter what. And yes, it wasn't the right thing to do, but I felt comfortable being able to express how I was feeling around you because I knew you weren't going to divorce me. Mm -hmm. So I was like, that's fine. I understand that. But you loving me shows me that you are willing to have your self-control. You need to have self-control in all situations because a lot of the time, Men are not actually mad at you. It's the problems around you that are causing him to be upset. And if you do one little thing, that triggers all the other things going on in his life. Uh, that's why, that's honestly why we created Happy Spouse, Happy House and not Hype, because we're forgetting the men a lot of the time. So uh, men tend to take their problems from being stressed out from having to provide for a family and all these things. So their love, they may love you like in their heart, but we feel like, oh, they're not loving us because they're not treating us how they, we need to be treated. Mm-hmm. So it's really about serving and sacrificing for the other person. It's really putting their needs above your own needs. And uh, I heard this before and I was like, wow, that's so profound. It says a woman will never have to fear submitting to a man who loves her right. And then a man will never fear um, loving his wife right if he's respected. So it's like we go hand in hand. You respect your husband, he loves you back. And a lot of the times like, well, who's supposed to do it first? Well, technically you're supposed to both do it first. Mm -hmm. But man as a leader, He's supposed to do it first because he's the head of the house. He's supposed to set the tone, but a lot of times that doesn't happen. So if you're a Christian man and you're like, how do I love my wife? The first thing you need to do is know your wife. You need to be able to talk to her and know what her love language is, what, what about her that she loves. And then you need to be able to take some things that are within you that maybe aren't so good, or maybe there's something that you like and maybe sacrificing and people always twist me on this, so don't come after me. Don't, don't give up who you are, but make sure that you're putting your wife before your own needs, just like your wife is supposed to put you before her own needs. When you both do that, again, nobody is lacking. Mm-hmm. I like how you put all that. Um, and then the last thing we touched on, which will kind of go into our next uh, topic as well, is uh culture and it's very uh opposite view of christian marriage or biblical marriage i should say um so when it comes to i guess probably the more recent things would have been like the sexual liberation of the 70s and the even more recently like third wave feminism which is a little more toxic than the original Mm -hmm. message of feminism and then uh even like sex work and its normalization and its explosion since the internet came about um Mm -hmm. how so i can't necessarily say it from a woman's perspective because i obviously don't know um but how are we supposed to or i guess how are women supposed to interact with this kind of culture uh that's very opposite of what a godly woman is and I guess what do you what do you suggest? How, how do they how do they confront this culture? They being other women. Ah, oh, this topic is so hard because okay, there's a lot of things that maybe people don't realize. This culture that we're in right now, it's a lot of agenda propaganda feeding that into our lives. Mm -hmm. So if you really think about it, where do we get these ideas? Where do we get the idea that marriage is just so like you get married and your life is over? You, you know, your old ball and chain, like, oh, let's have a bachelor party before you like lose your whole life. Like, where do we get that concept? And 
it's from our TV, it's from our movies, it's from all that culture of saying, hey, this is what marriage is. And it's really hard because we let those things just so easily come into our lives. We see things on TikTok, we see, you know, one thing that's driving me nuts lately is like, oh, OnlyFans. Why? It's just so easy. Mm-hmm. Let's just go on there and sell some pictures and, oh, I can make $100,000. Like, like that's not tempting for any struggling housewife. Like, oh, I could just sell a picture of my feet and make $200. Like, I know that's a little crazy to say, but this culture has breeded it so that sex is like, it's not special anymore. It's just, it's just a common thing that we talk about and just, we take all of what God had designed for sex and marriage and we just twist it. And the enemy is just like, oh, he's so cunning because he's taking this beautiful sacred thing and he's twisting it so that it seems normal outside of marriage or yeah, normal outside of marriage. But when you get into marriage, it's like, oh, let's try to make them not do it all the time so that they fight. Like, it's just so interesting to me to think like how the culture right now is portraying sex. It's, it's putting it out there as like, oh yeah, it's so taboo to do this, but it's not dirty, but you know, it's, and it's just crazy because we're thinking about, okay, so how does a godly Christian woman even like survive? Like, what do you do? And the other part about it is there's also purity culture, which that can be toxic as well. I have people that I talk to all the time that are like, oh, I don't, I didn't think I could do that because, you know, purity culture. I'm like, we need to stop getting our source of information from the mass media, from social media. We need to go to the Bible and read what God says about it. Mm-hmm. And that's the hardest part because we like sex and God is weird. Like, I don't know why, but I used to think this way. But now I'm like, why did I ever think that was so weird? Like, why God designed sex? Why why are we not letting him in it? And yeah. people are like, why why would we like God in it? That's so weird. I'm like, Mm-mm, you haven't even tried it. If you haven't tried it, there's a secret tip for you. Bring God into your intimate life. Pray about your intimate life with your spouse. I guarantee you, game changer. So we really need to be filling our minds and our hearts with the things of God and what He says about sex. And not what our culture says about sex. Culture has a way of making sex be be the thing that single people do and the thing that yes. married people don't. Yes. And that drives me nuts. Yeah. Hmm. Um, the next question I had. So we'll, we'll kind of shift over to, I guess, the way men are viewed. So I guess one there's there's a couple views of men that are being thrown around in culture. One is they're the absolute apex predatory, like stay away from them. They're all evil kind of um, creatures. And then there's the other view, which this what's, what's crazy to me is that there are conflicting ideas, but I guess it doesn't matter. Is that <laughs> men are not stepping up to the plate. They are very timid. They're very not aggressive. They're very... I guess shut in is probably the way to put it. And with these two ideas of like what men are in culture, it doesn't necessarily leave like this route of what is a godly man. The godly man doesn't fit in either of these two big categories of descriptors of what men are. And so I guess what does a Christian woman, how do they identify what those godly aspects are? That's a great question, actually, because uh, I guess godly isn't like a popular quality uh, <laughs> nowadays, especially in this culture. So it's got its um, own connotations of what godly means, because godly has been yeah. associated with the people who stand outside of abortion yeah. clinics yelling that you're going to go to hell and stuff like right. that. While we, of course, right. we believe abortion is wrong. There's a way to approach this subject that usually weak-minded yeah. people will do things like that, not in a godly manner. And so, unfortunately, like I got a whole conversation about that, but we'll continue. <laughs> well, uh, something that this has actually come up before was like, well, how, what do we deem as godly? And so I was like, okay, what do we deem as godly? And then what God kind of revealed to me was the fruits of the Spirit. Are they exemplifying the fruits of the Spirit? Are they really breeding that fruit? Or are they breeding all the bad fruit? 
uh, a lot of the times you'll find men who are very angry. There's some that are egotistical. There's some that are like toxic masculinity. And then you have the other side that are like, like I said, very timid, very, you know, uh, not standing up for themselves, not standing up for their wives, what have you. So to me, a godly man is somebody who puts God first and it took me a while to, you know, realize that, you know, it's God's spouse, children. And I always tell my husband, if we're ever in a situation where you choose me or God, you better choose God. Don't choose me because you're, I, you don't need, I don't need to compromise your salvation. Not that, not that we're going to lose it, but I'm saying, don't, don't backslide for me. Like you follow God, you submit to God. So a godly man is somebody who lives in that fruit all the time, the, the good fruits of the spirit. He's loving, he's joyful, he's, he's patient, he's very peaceful, he has peace within his heart, he's faithful, and, he has, and he's good and kind, and he has self-control. That's very hard to find. Um, and my husband has been very good at bre- trying to breathe that fruit. Uh, he still lacks sometimes, but we all do. We all fall short, right? Mm-hmm. But um, to... To really love God and to put him at like, okay, I'm going to go to God about this situation. I'm going to go like the one thing that my husband has started doing that is like, like ladies, when your man prays for you, it's like, you're going to go to God for me. Oh, yes. Like that Mm -hmm. is so attractive. Like you're going to go to the heavenly father to pray for me. If I feel bad, my husband prays over me. One day I was just getting really agitated. Stuff was happening. He literally pushed me up against the wall and like a like hot and heavy way. I was like, devil, get away from my wife. And I was like, oh, I've never loved you more than in this moment right now. Like mm-hmm. he goes to battle for you, like spiritually. He prays for you. He prays with you. He tries to help you breathe that good fruit too. So while... <laughs> This world is filled with both ends of the spectrum. The godly man is hard to find, but he can evolve. It's not like, oh, hey, this guy's doomed forever. Like he's, I have used to say, oh, I'm just angry all the time. That's just who I am. I'm like, nope, devil's a liar. Mm-mm. Nope, that's not who you are. That's who you think you are because the devil has tricked you for so long to think that's who you are. But you are a godly man. You just have to tap into that. Like you have to just really be in your word every single day. You have to pray every single day. And he's been doing that nonstop. And once in a while, he will get like upset about something, but he's actually like completely changed his self-control and everything. So, and to me, he is super sexy because he is so godly. So there you go. just telling you, it is a turn on. I'm telling you, like, it is something that I will notice. Like when I see, don't take this the wrong way, guys. If I see a guy at church praising God, like just worshiping, that is a very attractive quality. Like being vulnerable to the father in front of people is like that guy, that's attractive. So not saying you should put on a show, but like loving God is not a bad thing. Showing love for God publicly is not a bad thing. That's actually what women about are looking for. So that encourages, if you've been sitting on the sidelines, guys, Get up there and start praising. It's okay. I'm telling you, there's a woman who's going to see you and she's going to be like, oh, I need to meet that man. I'm telling you. But I do want to point out that those, because I've seen them almost every event and uh, church service I go to, the ones who are putting on a show, it, it is very visible. Okay, guys, you know, it has yeah. to be genuine. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We can tell when you're faking it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even I can. The most oblivious dude you'll ever meet. Even I can tell. Uh, yep. And so the last thing we want, I want to touch on here. And of course, if there's anything that we're missing here, of course you can add them in, but when it comes to you had in your notes, God at the center of marriage, Mm -hmm. can you explain what that means for anyone, for people listening? Absolutely. So for a long time, we were trying to do marriage our way. We were trying to just say, okay, we are going to be each other's rock. We're going to be each other's number one. And then I started hearing God at the center, God at the center. And I'm like, God at the center, what does that mean? So I like to think of the triangle, you know, the God triangle. You have a little point, husband and wife on both sides. As you both get closer to God, you get closer to each other. And when God is at the center, everything is different. 
and this is something I always say is when you start taking off the world's glasses and putting on those God glasses and seeing life through God's eyes and putting him at the center of everything, your perspective completely changes the way you act, react, your emotions, everything that you do is different. And of course, it's going to seem weird to outsiders. They're going to think that you're nuts. Um, but when you keep God at the center of everything, you're able to love fully, respect one another more fully. Again, pray for each other, guard behind, guard up each other. Uh, just have that service heart. Like we don't understand Jesus was, he, he was a server. He served people. And it's funny because in culture today, uh, you know, being a leader means you lead, but in like the Bible context, it's like, in order to lead, you have to serve. Like you have to mm -hmm. serve first in order to lead. So going to God for everything, keeping him as your pointing, you know, North star as the thing that you always run to, it's going to make a huge difference. Like I said, we did our marriage for 12 and a half years, not putting God at the center. And people think I'm crazy. They're like, oh my gosh, you talk about Christian marriage. The past three months, two months, three, two or three months, we have both decided we need a change. We have learned more about God and each other in the past two months that we have had God at the center of our marriage than the whole 12 years we've been married. So if that doesn't wow. tell you anything, it doesn't have to be a long time. You don't have to become like a theologian and a scholar in the Bible uh, to, to have God at the center. And it's all, I'm all about relationship. You have to build that relationship with God. Mm -hmm. So as you both individually relate with God and keep him at the center of your lives, he can be the center of your marriage. However, here's one thing that I'm always like, you got to know this. This is something you got to know. When you follow God and you keep him at the center, the enemy is going to attack you. And this is the part that people don't get past this point a lot of the time. Because the enemy is going to attack you. The thief, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. These don't break into empty houses. He's coming because he knows that you together are a force to be reckoned with. What happens when you have a happy, God-filled marriage? You have kids that you teach how to be God-filled people. Then they grow up. They replicate what you did. They, they get married. They have children. And guess what? We have a bunch of fun-loving Christian people spreading the word. And the devil doesn't want that. So every time, it's so funny. Every time we start really like, okay, we're doing this, we're doing that. The enemy comes hard. But I've noticed that if you just hold on and you just pray through it and you keep that faith, there's like a point where like something to shift and like all that stuff that comes at you, you're just like, mm, it's cool. God's got me. Like it doesn't phase me anymore. There's stuff. This has been the, the hardest season in our life the past couple of weeks. I mean, my husband lost his job that he had where he was very financially secure. Mm. And we got to a point of like, we just didn't have any funds coming in. And we were like, oh my gosh. But since we were so focused on God, it didn't phase us like it would have. Like before this would have probably destroyed us. Like we would have been like fighting and everything. But since we kept God at the center of it all, I'm telling you, the harder you love God and you seek God and you go after God, he will bless you. And I don't mean that like, oh, love him and he'll bless you. Like it's a, you know, a favor, like it's a debt he owes you. I don't say it like that. I'm saying truly, yeah. if you seek after God with your whole heart, he will bless you in ways that you can't even describe. He literally pulled through. I'm talking like funds came in out of nowhere at the exact right time. And it's only because we did, instead of what we always used to do is worry and freak out, we kept God at that center. And our mindset was in a way of saying, okay, God's at the center. He's got this. We still have to put in the work. It's not obviously God's just going to genie and bottle it and go, boop, yeah, there you go. You're, all your bills are paid. We mm -hmm. had to put some work in. Yeah. But we totally did it in a God's at the, God's at the forefront. Like God's in the middle of all this. So we don't even have to worry. He guided us where to go. He's like, okay, you need to go here. You need to go here. We executed where he said, where he sent us and boom, he took care of that whole situation. So Again, two to three months of seeking God with our whole heart and putting him at the center 
has changed our marriage more than 12 and a half years. And that's insane. Hmm. What so, I've heard. I don't know if that's a testimony or not. No, that's but, huge. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm dumbfound by that information. <laughs> the, what I've heard when someone says they, they're praying for God to do X, Y, or Z. So like I'm praying for God for patience, for example. Um, you're going to be put into situations where you have to exercise patience. You're going to be put into impatient situations. If you're praying for God for finance, financial help, you're going to be put into situations where you'll have to earn financial yes, uh, gain. It's not, like you said, it's not just a genie in a bottle kind of thing. It's not right. a prosperity gospel message that right. for some reason was super popular, even though it's so dumb. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you're praying for God for good marriage and for and i love how you said it earlier if you're praying for your spouse and you're praying for your marriage you're going to be put in situations where you can represent christ to your spouse where like you mentioned you were doing xyz for your spouse and you know your actions speak louder than words most of the time you're um and then representing your marriage of course to children if you have children not you i mean yes. people listening but yeah um that's what it means when we're saying like praying to God for these things, we're praying for these things. You're going to get, you're going to be provided with situations where you'll get to actually exercise the love of God in those situations. Is, is that absolutely. accurate what I'm saying? Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes me and my husband joke are like, be careful what you pray for because you just might get it, you know, like but yeah. not in a way you necessarily expect it. And here's the thing. God will always answer your prayers. Sometimes it's going to, Sometimes it's going to be no, sometimes it's going to be not right now. The other thing is that God allows you to go through situations to make you stronger. Only I'm sitting there because all the went through, I look back, it's like, I see now, like hindsight's 2020. I see now why you let me go through that because now I'm teaching on it now. And ironically, the people that I'm helping coach and counsel are people that I went through the exact same thing. It's not a coincidence. Like God is doing this on purpose. Mm -hmm. He knows where I was and where we were at. And so those people that are coming into our lives are in like literally the almost identical situations that we were in. So if you're yeah. going through a struggle and you're praying, hey, God, I really need this, this, and this, he's not going to remove the storm. He's going to help you get through the storm. So make sure that when you pray for something, you know that he's going to give you that opportunity, whatever it is. You pray for patience. Guess what? You want to find a situation where you're going to have to be patient. You pray for finances. There's going to be something that he's like, you need to do this. And guess what? If you don't, you reap what you sow. If you don't put in the work and the effort, got to yeah. put that hand to the plow and get going. So my last thing, and we can end on this unless you got something else. Um, I know we kind of mentioned earlier about a spouse who is in a hypothetical situation where the other is not reciprocating. Mm -hmm. And I don't want, I, I want to preface it with saying like there, there is time that is needed for an individual to develop. It's not going to be an instant Absolutely. one. Like I did the dishes today. Why aren't you doing X, Y, Z? You know, it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a progress. It's a progress. It's a development. It takes time. So the only question that I want to address in that specific situation is how much time is too much time when we start mm -hmm. like, and how much are we, when do we realize that there is no more else, nothing else we can do? Or do you, are you saying, or, <laughs> my brain is stopped functioning. I know where you're getting with this. Yeah. Okay. You, I know, you know where I'm going. Go ahead. Okay. I get this question a lot, actually. And it's like, how, how long is too long? And it's not a one size fits all answer uh, because every situation is vastly different. Like there may be similarities, but there's details that are different. So I stuck around, we've been together for 17 years and I stuck around the whole time because I just felt in my heart that God was telling me to stay. And I didn't know at the time that I was going to be the one to help him get saved. I didn't actually do any, like do that. But I was like part of the seed process. Like I helped plant the seed or whatever. So why did I wait so long? And it's funny because people for years, I mean, you should leave him. You should divorce him. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, 
And now we have one of the greatest marriages and everybody else is either divorced or single or unhappy. So uh, there's not really an answer on how much time, but more what is God telling you to do? What is God speaking to you to do? Because in some situations, it may be like, okay, like he knows that this person's not going to change. But I kind of want to add like a little side caveat to this because this is what, why it took so long. Mm-hmm. You cannot force another person to change. That is the hardest part. Mm-hmm. And if you tell someone you need to change, guess what? They're not going to change. It's probably going to push them in the opposite direction, if I'm being honest. So what I've started kind of helping women, you know, I, I mostly speak to wives. I speak to some husbands, but mostly wives. I say this. Pointing out his flaws and saying, you need to do this and that is not going to work. All I can suggest to you, aside from praying for him and being a godly, a godly example, is you need to find what's within yourself that needs changing and growing. Because we can only be accountable for our own actions. We can't be accountable for what other people do or do not do. So if you're going through your marriage and I say going through, like you're kind of just going through it. And you're not actually like working at it. Look within yourself for a little bit. And this goes for husbands and wives. Mm-hmm. Look within yourself and say, hey, I'm pointing out all their flaws. But what in, what in myself needs changing and growing? Because what happened with us was I kept telling my husband, you need to change. You need to do this, all this stuff, stuff. And he's like, what about you? Like, these are things that I need that you're not doing. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I wasn't even like, I thought I was so righteous. I was like, I'm just like, I know the Bible better than you. So I'm more righteous than you. Like I, I did that. Mm-hmm. And I was, a, I will admit I was a bad wife for many years. Cause I kept pointing the finger and I would not look at anything within me. And I always pointed my finger back at him. So I had to do one of these and start looking back at myself. So I started saying, okay, what about me is something that is not uh, bearing the good fruit. What is something that I need to work on? that could change my marriage. And there's some things that my husband was specifically like, you know, these are things that like I need and whatever. And it's funny. And I I just found out about this like a week ago. He told me, he's like, you know, what really changed me is I saw a change in you and it made me want to elevate myself for you. And I was like, whoa, like, so you're telling me that since I took charge of my own self and I made a change, it inspired you to want to change for me. So that's the hardest part is people keep wanting to point the finger at the other spouse and not take accountability for our actions. Guys, it sucks. It sucks to look at our own flaws. It sucks to point out all the things that we do wrong. 100%. But you have to take you have to take extreme ownership for your life. You you may not be the fault in every situation or in any situation, but you may have a fault in it. So when I look at a situation, if my husband's upset about something, I'm like, did I, did I personally do anything to be at fault in this situation? Is there something that I did? And I look long and hard, or I say, is there something that I did that whatever, or in any situation, I've I've just learned to do this in everything. What fault did I have in it? And if I took, and if I had fault in it, I say, I'm so sorry. I apologize for it. And I say, you know what, if I, if I did do something, I need you to tell me so I can correct it. That's mm-hmm. the other thing is we're not telling our spouses. We're just withdrawing and saying, I'm just not even going to, to speak up because if I do, I get walked all over. That's a whole nother issue in itself. Yeah. That's part of communication, which that's just a whole nother issue. But uh, if you really think about it, if we start to change within ourselves, we can inspire our spouse to change. And I guarantee you, if they feel that need to change, they will change. Some people, it's hard because they just don't see the flaws in themselves and they don't want to change because they think there's nothing to change or that they're fine and everything's good. And they're in that whole denial, like, you know, I'm good. Like, Mm -hmm. you're the one with the flaws, not me. But it's a personal accountability. You have to personally grow and change your own self. When I say change, I don't mean like change who you are. Just saying, change those things about you that maybe aren't the best thing and start to grow towards a better you. We're always supposed to be growing and changing. We're never supposed to stop. Mm-hmm. You can't stay in the same space all the time. Things change, circumstances change, seasons change. You have to be willing to look inward and always be fixing the flaws that you have and then turn, that can inspire your spouse. So not a definite answer, but definitely look within yourself, 
first of all, but then say, Hey God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do in this situation? You know, God gives an out for marriage, but that doesn't mean you have to take it. That's the, that's the hard part that people don't understand just because somebody commits adultery. I know this is a hot topic. That doesn't mean you have to leave. You need to find out what God says to you personally. That's why I could give you a broad answer, but everybody has to be able to speak to God and have the Holy Spirit convict them of whatever they need to do. And so there's a couple of things I want to go here. So we talked earlier, or we, you mentioned earlier the illustration of the triangle, right? And yeah. so when you grow closer to God, you're closer to your spouse. When we say this triangle, it's not an equilateral triangle where all three points are equal distance. God is always waiting for you to turn around to him. He's much closer. So if we're looking at a triangle that's an obtuse triangle where the points here of God and then us here on the outside, if we move closer to God, we are, in terms of mathematical, closer to the distance of here than we were from here to here, the hypotenuse of the triangle. Yeah. And so there's that point. I wanted to make that. And then... Oh, shoot, I had one other thing, but then I was trying to think of eighth grade math terms, and now I'm forgetting the rest of it. <laughs> I was like, man, he's good. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, shoot. Man, I'm kind of mad that I forgot that last point that I was going to make. Anyway, though. God, bring it back. Bring the point back. Come on, Lord. <laughs> the point is it may Come be on. time to go. I, I may be stalling too long. <laughs> But Christina, I really thank you for coming on to here. Um, I've had a great conversation. Um, if you are, if you guys are interested in learning more about Christina, she does have a Facebook page over on TikTok as well. Happy spouse period, happy house. Am I getting that correct? Yes, you are. Okay, so y'all, I enjoy I enjoy her content, and I am a 26 year old dude who likes video games. Okay, with a with a <laughs> wife and kids. You know, I'm that that guy. And I enjoy the content, so I'm sure you guys would, too. I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. So don't go anywhere. We'll get at the end of the show. And uh, thank you all for watching. All right. That's the end of the show there.